0: I was, it's about 30 years ago. I was at Carlson Elementary School and I was looking forward to this moment all semester long. If you're a kid, you're looking forward to one thing the Christmas party. Now, in retrospect, it wasn't that great. Well, when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, it is everything's everything. You know, the, the bright red dye coloring punch and the 99-cent Walmart cookies. And just somebody handed me this an hour ago. This is the, what they would, the teachers would give out, not the full-size candy cane, but the little teacher's salary. We should pay our teachers more candy canes. And so I was looking forward to the Christmas party. And so the room is decorated, and and I was excited about it because uh, it was just a time of rejoicing and a time of celebration. And I loved Christmas, still do. Uh, I'm not really, you know. Everyone says respect the turkey. I've been on keto, so I've had enough turkey. I'm done. I'm ready for Christmas. And so, uh, so here I am as a young kid, and I'm looking. I have like, in a sense, I'm looking forward to this Christmas party. But as my wife will tell you, sometimes I have selective hearing. And so all I hear about is the Christmas party. I do not hear anything about the end of the year book report. Exactly. So I'm like, oh, it's Christmas time. You know, bells will be ringing. I'm like, I'm coming into class. Everything's decorated, the tinsel, the lights, the excitement, the cheap cookies, the sugary punch. It is a good day to be alive. And then they're like, all right, students. Like that Charlie Brown voice, like wah, wah, wah. Like, turn in your book reports. I'm like, it is the judgment seat of Christ right now. I I did not know there was a uh, book report. I totally skipped my mind. I have, I, oh no, I'm not going to get Christmas presents. I'm going to fail this class. And I'm going to be absolutely honest with you right now. This is not my finest moment. I take out a, a pair of scissors and they said, turn in your three and a half inch floppy disk, which for some of the young people, it's like an ancient USB drive. <laughs> I take out a pair of scissors and I cut. I open up the three and a half inch disk and I cut it. Because I knew if it was damaged, it wouldn't be able to be read in the computer, and the teacher would say, hey, something's wrong with your hard drive. I have to give you, you have to go home and send me a new one, which meant I knew I had another day. My problem as a little kid is I was too smart. And so I'm like formulating this plan, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like guilty, and I'm like, and so I do it. I damage the hard drive, and I send it in with all the kids, and then it starts to happen. Do-do, 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 do-do. And like, you know, jingle bells is playing, but I can only hear the jingle bell of my heartbeat. You know, it's like, let it snow by, you know, and I am so guilty, and I am just like a jittery mess, and then they're like, Kyle Volkman, and I'm like, I know it! And I like shoot up straight in my seat, and the teacher's like, "Uh, Kyle, can you come forward? I'm like, dead man walking. And she's like, can you do some math facts? I'd never been more excited to do math facts on the board, a little chalkboard. So I was like, oh, just math facts on the board. So I'm doing math facts, and I sit down. And I'm like, oh, exonerated on all charges. So I sit down. And, <laughs> and so then on the intercom, William Kyle Volkmer, can you please come to the principal's office? I'm dead. So I, it's like the slow walk where you contemplate your existence. It's like you're evaluating everything. So I walk to the to principal's office. I knew I was in big trouble. And I get there and the principal's like, well, we need you to do one thing. And I'm like, anything. <laughs> we need you to fill out your asthma medication. I kid you not. I just take out my inhaler and I just go, yeah, I got asthma. Asthma is what I have. Yes, I have asthma. And so I was like, oh, thank God. They're just having me fill out stuff for my mom for medication for next semester. So I'm like. So I walk back into the class. And by this point, my heart is literally beating out of my chest so much, I can't concentrate. Do You think I enjoyed that Christmas party? Everyone's singing jingle bells. I'm just sitting, even the part where it says Batman smells and Robin laid an egg, like my favorite part as a young kid. I'm just sitting there with tears in my eyes, with a guilty conscience. And it was in this moment I learned the great truth. No righteousness, no peace. No peace, no joy. No righteousness, no peace. No peace, no joy. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. We're in the middle of our Romans series, and we're going to be uh, looking at Paul's great idea of the Christian law of liberty. And we're going to be reading the 14th chapter. And just to give you some background here, we're going to be looking at what we're permitted to do and what we're not permitted to do. We're going to be looking at the principles of that Paul instructs to believers. Because you have to remember, this, this church body was, was radically divided on what it was permitted, what was allowed, what was law, what was freedom, what was grace, and what was sin. And so this is the context in which Paul is giving instruction as we look this morning. So reading chapter 14... And as we open this book, Lord Jesus, open our eyes. That there be freedom and life and liberty in the gospel today. That every heart and mind in this room would bless you continually. And that we would learn the great truths of the gospel. Open the eyes of our hearts and our understanding. Amen. Chapter 14 in the epistle of Romans. Receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. See, my mom needed to read the Bible when I was a kid. (laughs) Let, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? I'll stop right there. In the next two years, as politics ramps up, who are you to judge another man's servant? Write that one down as we continue. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes this day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. And he who gives, gives thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and give God thanks. For, For none of us live to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died, rose, and lived again, that he might be both the Lord of both of the dead and the living. But why then do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother for whom Christ died? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'll say that part again. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I, says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us shall give an account to himself to God. Therefore, let not, no one judge one another anymore but rather resolve that not to put a stumbling block or cause our brother to fall. I know I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. And the main point for us this morning, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You have to understand he had this backdrop of Jew and Gentile churches, and you know, some people are having bacon tacos for breakfast, and they're, and they feel like they're free to do this, and then the Jewish Christians are coming in, they're like, oh, we're not free to do this, and there's like this huge discussion of what's permitted and what's not permitted. Have you been a part of this? It's just a modern day Facebook. You know, you get into religious issues on Facebook, and you're like, ew. And, you know, we've all seen it and been a part of it. So Paul is addressing, hey, 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 don't judge one another. Who are you to judge another man's servant? And then he goes on to talk about the importance of being convinced in your own mind. Now, the man who discipled me, he taught me that there are open-handed issues and then there are closed-handed issues. He explained it like this. There are load-bearing walls like those posts behind you, and then there are non-load-bearing walls. There are things that are pertain to salvation, you know, eternal things that truly matter, and these are the things that are closed-handed. These are the things that cannot be moved. These are the pillars of our convictions of our faith that cannot be shaken, but then there's open-handed things. And we're not to dispute one another and judge one another about open-handed things. How the church of God needs to understand this. That, there are, that we should keep our mind on salvation. About eternity. The things that truly matter. Hello politics. Hello Twitter accounts. Don't dispute over doubtful things. Eternal things. Who are you to judge another man's servant? For we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now you're saying, well, preacher, I'm saved. I'll ne- I won't have to stand before the judgment seat. Well, I got news for you. You're not talking about the great white throne judgment. I'm talking about the judgment seat of believers. Every one of us as a Christian is going to stand before Jesus and give an account for the, everything we've done. All of our works, all of our efforts, all of our labors, all of our evangelism, all of our giving, all of our sacrifice. Every one of us will stand before the judgment Seed of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body. And then it's, we're not all going to be treated the same. Some of us are going to have works of silver, gold, and, and precious stones. Others will have wood, hay, and stubble. But not everyone will be treated the same. Do you think the man on the, everyone talks about the thief on the cross, is going to be the tre- treated the same as Billy Graham or D.L. Moody or Mother Teresa? No. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one of us will give an account of himself towards God. They asked Daniel Webster. They said, Daniel Webster, you have a colossal intellect. What is the greatest thought that's ever entered your mind? You know, the guy who wrote the dictionary. He said, it's my personal accountability towards God. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things that may build each other up the kingdom of God is not in do's and don'ts, but in it's not in meat and drink. It's not eat this, don't drink this, eat this, don't drink that. It's not do's and don'ts, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen the religious people? My goodness. You know what they sound like? Well, I don't drink, and I don't smoke, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I would never do that. And I'm like, what do you do? You're just a don't-don't just a crank. And I'm like, I don't want what they have. You see that? It's not about what you don't do. It's what you do. It's about how you live. It's not about uh, meat and drink. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. See how attractive that is? Clean living, clean conscience, peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable. That's what the gospel is. It's not legal obligation, it's a life full of love. I like to tell this story, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a woman. She got married and her husband was an abusive jerk. Every day he would come home from work and he would yell and scream and and write these lists of things that she had to do before he came home from work the next day. Clean the house, do the dishes, do the chores, take care of the kids. It was just this huge list of obligations and tasks, and there was no love, no trust, no affection. And years went by, and her heart was cold, and her affections were gone. And then somehow, in the mercy of God, this man dies. And she meets another man, a kind man. And history goes like this, the the tale goes like this. They fell in love, and they got married again, and her heart blossomed. And her life changed. And decades go by, she's cleaning the couch, and she moves an old piece of furniture. And she you know what she found? She found an old list. An old list of requirements that she was forced and obligated to do. And you know what she found out? She was doing everything on the list. Not out of obligation, but because of love. And trust. The gospel is that the law of God has been perfected among us. It's not that the law needed to be changed, it's our hearts needed to be changed. You see, that woman, she did everything that was required of her, not out of obligation, because out of love. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The kingdom of God is not in do's and don'ts, but is love and trust. So how do we find out about what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do? Because you have this Jew-Gentile culture, and there's all these, well, you can't do this, and you can't do this. And so I'm going to give you some eternal truths that are found in the Scripture to help us when the Scriptures are not emphatically clear on what we're permitted to do. Because some people think... According to Paul, they had their conscience and they're allowed to do an activity. Whereas other people are like, I'm not free to do this activity. So I'm going to give you some three principles. Because every one of us needs to hear from God themselves. The first principle is this. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. All things are permitted. I'm free in Christ. I have the spirit of liberty and freedom. All things are permitted, but not all things, what? Edify, to edify means build up, speaking about your brothers. As Christians, we are to treat others better than ourselves. We are to give others the prominent, preeminence and prominence. We're to exalt our brothers above ourselves. We're to look after their highest good, treat others better than you would yourself. We, to let, let every man be exalted. We are to lift up one another, build up one another. So your freedom in Christ can't be another man's chains. That means you have to conduct yourself in such a way that you are edifying your brothers around you. That means your freedom can't be a stumbling block for someone else. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Now, expediency is a big word. It's an old King James word. It just means this. It coincides with your purpose, your calling. Your calling is unique from God. I remember exactly where I was, where I got my calling. I was sitting on the side of the hill, and I was reading the King James Bible, and I opened it up, and God says, if you teach this book, I'll take care of the rest. And I'm so, God, so glad God is faithful to his words, because honestly, I know it's Sunday, because it's here, and it's at church, but I'm not that administratively gifted. I, I don't have that mind. But I, I, was, I did go here with the scriptures. This is my calling, to be a preacher of the gospel. That's my calling. You might have a calling that's equally sacred to be a teacher or a plumber or to be a stay at home mom or to be a business owner. Each one of those is sacred, but guess what? All things are lawful, but not everything's gonna coincide with your purpose. You see that? All things are lawful for you, but not everything's gonna agree to your calling and your purpose. That means you're not free to do it. So, like if I was going out spending 70 hours a week selling timeshares, I hope my friends would love me enough to say something, right? Because that's not in agreement with my purpose. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. All things are lawful, but not all things agree expediency in our purpose. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That means nothing should have dominion over your heart and life other than Jesus. For me, you know what it was? I was a Christian, I was saved, I was filled with the Holy Ghost, but I loved poker. And I played poker at Sam Houston State, won two championships. I was playing poker. I loved poker. It started getting to have too much control over my life. I knew I was in trouble when at night I would dream about poker. I knew, I knew. And the thing is, is I, I don't know how I would spiritualize it. I would actually pray to the Holy Ghost that he would reveal to me the cards of the people that I was playing against. And he would. And so I, I would win and I would, oh, it was awesome. It was amazing. But I realized it had, uh, and other people were free to do it. They were permitted. It wasn't wrong. But guess what? It became a tiger in my soul. It began to have dominion. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power. And so I felt its power and I had to surrender it. You know, so sometimes the guys had the man night where all the men come and they make the barbecues and they're like, do you want to play poker, Carl? I'm like, no! <laughs> Because not, I, others may, but I could not. And God, the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to your heart in your life. There are things that you are no longer permitted to do. And it's not religious obligation. It is the requirements of love. It is the requirements of love. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power. But the kingdom of God is not do's and don'ts. And oh, how the religious don't like that because they love do's and don'ts, and then they love to walk in disobedience towards God, and think that they're outwardly covered, and then they quote religious talk, you know, the cranky, stanky people. They'll quote religious talk. They'll be like, well, Paul said what I did, what I don't want to do that I do, and what I don't want to do that I do, and they just want to live and that Romans 7 defeated mindset. Well, i got news for you. Paul was referring back to a previous state of his life. I was alive without the law once, and then he goes into a monologue of his previous prior conversion self. Then he gets the victory. Then he gets the freedom. People have this idea. These religious people have this idea that you can somehow be technically right, righteous with God in heaven and be inwardly corrupt. People have this idea that you can have like a Jesus jacket on. That like, oh, God can't see you what you're really doing because of what Jesus did. God can't see you. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Jesus says... You wash the outside of the cup and you say that it's clean, but inside it's filled with all corruption and adultery and fornications. It's not a Jesus jacket, folks. It's not a technical forensic covering. But rather, the gospel is inner transformation of your heart by God coming and dwelling inside of your life. The righteousness that comes through faith is Christ coming and dwelling inside of you and living through you and out of you. I will come and make our home in you, he says. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And he that abides in me does not sin. So it's not a technical forensic righteousness, but rather it's an internal loving and trusting relationship where Christ, who is our righteousness, appears through us because Jesus says unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. First John tells us little children let no one deceive you. He that practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Anything worth having. Anything worth having is costly. And the blood of Jesus was shed that God would dwell in our hearts by faith. That we might have a righteousness apart from the law. Himself in us. We don't like that. We don't like costly things in America. We want instant, We want it and we want it now. We want, uh, there's no instapot for our devotional lives. There's no Amazon Prime for your prayer life. There's no microwaves for your convictions. There's no express lanes for your evangelism. If it's kingdom, it's costly. If it's going to be eternal, that means it's going to have weight and significance to it. Here today, gone tomorrow. But I speak to you about eternal things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And just when I was a little boy in that uh, Christmas class, uh, nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, I'm telling you, I was so nervous because I knew that I was wrong. I was convicted, and I didn't have any peace. And so we as a society and as a nation We have all kinds of emotional anxiety problems and and depressions and, uh, you know, 40 to 50% of Americans are on some type of psychosomatic substance to alleviate what's going on. And I'm not saying that mental illness doesn't exist, but what I am saying is that we have we tried a clean conscience? Have we forgotten the blood of Jesus, which is able to wipe away any stain and clean any conscience? Have we forgotten that he that is in Christ is a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come? Have we forgot about the new birth? He keeps his mind in perfect peace whose heart is stayed on thee. Stay in the presence of God. So the kingdom of God is not do's and don'ts. It's not meat and drink, but it's righteousness. Righteousness leads to peace. I love the fact that when Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, who has all power over death, hell, and the grave, the first thing he says to his disciples, peace. The empty tomb speaks peace to us. It speaks peace now. Peace over disturbed consciences. Peace for anxiety. Peace for fear. The gospel speaks peace. We who were afar off, who had no peace from God, God reconciled through the blood of the cross and now speaks peace. The blood of Jesus speaks peace. Peace for every trial and opposition. Peace for every rejection. Peace for every demonic power. The Bible says there's no peace for the wicked, but the peace is the inheritance of the saints. Righteousness gives birth to peace, and then peace to joy. What do we do if we find ourselves in the religious heart and the religious time? I'm reminded of Keith and what he's saying. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Let the peace of God rule and guard your hearts. That word for guard and rule is the word for umpire. It calls the shots in the game. It tells you when you're out of line. You want to know, what's what am I permitted to do? What am I not permitted to do? The peace of God is the umpire in your life. It calls the strikes. It calls the game. Do you have the peace of God? It passes all understanding. It's not as the world gives. Jesus says, the peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give. The peace of a quiet, clean conscience. The peace of a restful mind. The peace of a surrendered will. The peace of God. The gospel is glad tidings of great peace. Amy Carmichael, that missionary to India, she wrote, Blessed are the single-hearted, for they shall enjoy much peace from God. If you refuse to be hurried, if you refuse to be pressed, if you can stay your soul on God, you will have the clearness, stillness of life and peace and give birth to joy. If we looked at the capital C church in our nation, we would say it's now its weak. Any honest evaluation of the church, we are closing more than we're starting. Yes, a spark of the fire of God is moving here and we're experiencing church planning and we honor the Lord for what He's doing. But if we look at the church as a whole in our nation, it's weak. And I believe there's two main factors. Number one factor, there's sin in the camp. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. But when I look around at the corporate church, I see kitty cats. We don't have a courage problem, we have a sin problem. We have to get the sin out of the camp. The second one is very simply, we're weak because we have no joy. The Bible says rejoice, indeed I say rejoice. You know what rejoice means? Joy again joy again and then the bible says rejoice indeed i say rejoice and then it says rejoice again god's answer for weakness is joy joy unspeakable and joy is not dependent on circumstance joy is not dependent on your environment because he who believes in me in his heart will spring up a well that you have joy on the inside because what if christ did that he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Joy unspeakable. Isaiah the prophet says, With joy you shall draw from the well of your salvation. That's the word. Joy. The Spirit yields the fruit of joy. You show me the path of life. King David says, In your presence... Is fullness of joy and God's presence. <laughs> I remember I was at a barber shop one time, and they they the I, first time I sat in that barber shop, and he cut my mustache down to an eighth of an inch, and that's the first time I'd seen my lips in a long time, and my wife was like, "Who is this man?" It was so funny. Is the whole church? The whole church was like, Kyle, did you get filled with the Holy Ghost? You're so happy. You're smiling all the time. I was like, No, I smile like this all the time. It's just my mustache. But we should be a people known by joy. Rejoice in the Lord, indeed I say rejoice. Can you stand with me? We must be a people. This is my prayer for you all week. This is my prayer. Paul says, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. Always be joyful. Always be thankful. Never stop praying. People go, what's the will of God for my life? And they always talk about location or occupation. Have we just looked at those wonderful things? Always be thankful. Never stop praying. Always be grateful. This is God's will for our life. Lord Jesus, all around the room, we don't want to be a people. We don't want to be a people who trust in our own strength. We know that the joy of the Lord is our strength, but we know cursed is the man who trusts in his strength. We trust in you. Jesus, we trust in you. We rely on you. We need you, God. We need your joy again. Would you just in your heart just open it up and say, Jesus, Jesus, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Rejoice, indeed, I say rejoice. Not circumstance, not happiness, but joy unspeakable. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy.